I can assure you of this truth here this morning. Your life hasn't been changed unless it's been changed by faith. You and I, we haven't actually met Jesus in person yet. We weren't there in the first century to see what happened. We have to believe in what we do not see. We can't live by sight. We've got to live by faith. And our lives cannot have been changed by Jesus unless they've been changed by faith. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. It's by faith that God is changing us, and it's only by faith that through us God can change others. Your faith matters. Your faith matters. Oh, it matters. It's so critical to God. What is faith? If all it requires of me is to just agree but not live, that's not faith. No, faith is active. Faith is a character. Faith is a lifestyle. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is excited about faith, and he's going to exalt the faith of the Roman church. And he's going to express the desire to fill the church up even more with preaching and teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, wait a second. You think the same way that I thought when I was 19 years old, after I'd heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'd been born again because Jesus came into me, because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior from sin. I gave him my sin and said, yes, I acknowledge that you took my sin upon yourself on the cross, and I, by faith, received God's forgiveness and got this new life in Jesus Christ when I was 19. For a while there, I thought, well, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this one truth, and you got to make this decision, and that's all that the gospel does. And I was so, so wrong. See, Paul believes in this passage. He's, he's very clearly stating it, that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we fill, fill up on faith. If, if we go to the gospel, the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we constantly remind ourselves of God's love and his mercy, his power and his grace, greatness, his desire to have relationship with us, his desire to make us ambassadors upon this earth. We keep on meeting with Jesus in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our faith fills up. And so Paul isn't saying, well... Somebody's already gone there, and they've shared the gospel, so I guess I'll go somewhere else. No, he's coming not only as an evangelist, but he's coming as a discipler, someone who wants to help them grow in their faith. And so Paul's convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ is all that is needed to pour into those hearts in order to produce results by faith. Hey, maybe this isn't something that you've heard recently but hear it again this morning. God expects results in you. He expects results in you. What God did for you is also what God can do through you. The gospel can live inside of us by faith. And so even as we conclude the message this morning, you're going to hear that God who gives us faith, God who determined that his mission to rescue the world from sin, to adopt sons and daughters to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, he's got good plans and he's expecting results. God wants fruit and he wants to harvest that fruit in us. God wants to harvest your faith here 
this morning. And I know, I know where you're coming from, all right? Because I'm like you. I'm a struggling follower of Jesus Christ, and I can sometimes see by sight, and I can sometimes walk by circumstance rather than by faith. I've been hurt, and I've been hurting. I've struggled. I, like you, have not been full of faith my entire life of faith, not even close. And I know that God wants to reap a harvest in us here this morning. And I pray that you would welcome the work of the Holy Spirit as he illuminates God's word to you here this morning and you receive the truth that God wants, this close, close truth that God wants to bring to us. Let's look at the thrill and the duty of faith first. So what we're going to do is is we're going to look at the bookends of the passage first. We're going to look at the top verse, verse 8, and then the bottom two verses, verses 14 and 15. There's the thrill and there's the duty of faith. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. Paul was thrilled to know that the Roman church was responding to God by faith. They had clearly heard the word, and it was producing a harvest of souls and a growing mission to the community. He was excited about this. Now, this church was, it was very early. It was very recent. It was a pretty new church because uh, Christianity was just a couple of centuries in, and Paul wants to go and preach to this church some, sometime probably around 60 A.D. or so and in a place where lifestyles would have been thoroughly established by wealth, by position, and political interest, where there was a, a strata of social life that was probably clearly entrenched there in Rome, the seat of the empire, where wealth, position, and political interests are probably some of the greatest forces around. Jesus is changing all that. Paul was not simply saying to the church, I'm excited that you believe certain things. He was saying, I'm excited that your believing is resulting in a faith that's getting the world's attention. I'm thrilled that your faith is so thrilling. You know, I had someone come and visit me this week. Oh, I love those 20 minutes with that brother. And this brother just came to tell me how God was growing his faith. And I got to tell you, he probably wasn't the most likely of candidates. He's not, the, he's not a person that has come and approached to me more than four or five times since I've known him. But he felt compelled by God on another snowy day to come here find me and say, i got to tell you how God is working in me and working in my wife. I'd never felt so close to this individual believer than at that moment that he was giving glory to God because the thrill of his faith was thrilling my faith. I was catching it. That wonderful spark in his soul, that wonderful thrill that he was experiencing where his faith had become outward. It had gotten out there to the last layer of his dermis, out there to the outside. I knew, saw a new surrender in him, and it was very easy to be close to him at that moment. And I said, brother, I just feel so close to you right now because I had experienced the excitement of faith with him. And that's why Paul is so warm toward the church at Rome. How close do you feel when you're experiencing faith together? They both share something at the very core of their lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ has created in them an exciting and a powerful faith. Where's your faith today? 
have circumstances, unforgiveness, hardship, stubbornness, maybe a hardened heart, the world, the old ways of your flesh, have they reduced your faith to just a belief system? How terrible would it be that your faith is now simply an obligation rather than a privilege? How rough would it be that your faith is simply a belief system rather than an action system? How disappointing would it be that if our faith isn't what puts us to bed at night and wakes us up in the morning with the thrill to live? Is your faith leading you to people that you would normally encounter? Is it leading you to say things to people that you wouldn't normally say? Is it leading you to extraordinary love and service that a self-serving heart never would have engaged? Does your faith, does my faith need a renewing encounter with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ? The very heart of what Paul wants to bring to the Roman church. Do we need that as well? Do we need a collective spiritual gift, he says, that all of us could encounter together from God's word that would convince us more, that would thrill us more to live by faith. Would, would you open your heart up this morning and listening on the podcast? Also, would you open your heart this morning along with other celebrating Christians in the church, even the church in Rome, to welcome the power and the strength and the encouragement that the gospel can arouse in you? Would you believe that today you could be thrilled by your faith? Then perhaps... Paul could one day say of you, say of your church, well, the world is noticing. The people around are picking up on what you're laying down. So Paul is not talking about a belief system. He's talking about action, and he's talking about character. He's validating not only the accuracy of their faith, but their practice of their faith. And he's saying that God's saving work of faith is producing ascending work in them. It's, it's, it's causing them to bounce off of each other. It's causing them to be sent into other lives as powerful producers in God's kingdom plan. Oh, it's so easy to be a consumer today, isn't it? It's so easy to say, well, I'm going to go and listen to what I want to hear. I'm going to go and like what I like and not like what I don't like. I'm going to surf the menu of church today and I'm going to take what I want and leave those things that convict me or call me into any type of faith service. It's so easy to be a consumer. And it just doesn't do much for anybody to stand here and pound the pulpit and say, Hey, it's your duty to serve Jesus. It's your duty to tell people about Jesus. It's your obligation. It doesn't really motivate. But you know what does? Faith. Faith in Jesus, faith in the God that so loved you that he could take all of your sin. Hey, I know some of you, and you know me. That he could take your sin away and declare you righteous before God, to give you an absolutely new life and make you into a new creation. The Savior that we acknowledge rescues us from hell, took away our sins and declared us to be acceptable in God's eyes, can somehow and our Christian culture be reduced to just a belief rather than a beacon. It's easy to be a consumer, 
So the thrill of faith again, Christian, is what God is calling you to. You see, you say, I have wanted that. I've known for some time that I haven't had the thrill of faith. Then you've got to be saying, well, how do I get it? How do I get back to this thrill of faith? And the answer is going to be right here in the passage as we continue to explore it. Paul wants to come and center all of his preaching and teaching on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's going to expand the church of Rome's understanding of power and meaning in their lives to such a point that they are filled by faith. Paul thinks that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preaching and teaching is so important that he's going to expand on it from chapter 2 all the way through chapter 11 before he ever says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, let's present our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, acceptable to God. Ten chapters of expounding the gospel to them in what's got to be considered one of the greatest theological treatises ever, ever written. He's going to do that for the church. And you know what's going to happen? He says, by doing that, you're going to ripen for a harvest that God wants to bring in you. So keep listening. So keep watching the scene here. Imagine yourself in this church. Your answer is going back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find motivation out there somewhere else. You're not going to find it in activity. You're not going to find it in changing up your structure. You're going to find it in the unchanging, powerful, immense work of the gospel that thrills the soul and finding new treasures that are going to fill your heart full of faith. And Paul wants to do that for the church of Rome. And God wants to do that here, First Baptist Church of Zealand. Because God's word, well received, leads to a life mission well lived. It leads to a by faith life mission but all the while, even though Paul says, I'm thrilled, I'm excited to go there to be with you, he also says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, verse 14. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See, Paul is life-directed. This isn't a duty and obligation that is a chore or a burden. He's saying that I have been convinced that this is my duty and obligation. He knows he's at his best when he's living by faith, and his faith is a convinced faith. He's convinced that God has called him and that God is leading him. His faith is expanding his target audience to all. He uses the phrase Greeks and barbarians in the same sentence. The Greeks, they were considered the intellectuals, the well-cultured people who were great thinkers, and the barbarians were considered simpletons and uncultured they were hunters and gatherers. They weren't humans. And he's saying there that my faith calls me to all. Come on, haven't you done it? Haven't you done it? Haven't you said, oh, God, I'll serve you here. Oh, but please not there. I'll talk about you here, but oh, God, please not them. I'll live for you, Jesus, here, but oh, please, not there. And God wants a holy convincing of your faith here this morning to ignite you again to the duty and the obligation that even Paul feels because Paul, 
has a life-focused mission. Limited faith leads to limited influence. It leads to a shrunken life and a personal world that goes unreached. But Paul says, if I preach to all because I'm convinced that I'm called to all, then I will see fruit in all. So the question for us here this morning as we look at Paul and his duty, his obligation is, is my life focused upon a clear call and vision? Do you know why you're really here? The scripture says that you and I were called by God to his work in this world. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. He wants your life to have impact. You're called to the work of the gospel. And you're also called to live by faith, not by sight. A faith that says, okay, God, whoever, whenever, whatever, wherever. And so those are the bookends, the thrill and the duty of faith. But then we go to the heart of the gospel-centered faith in verses 9 and 10. Look down. For God is my witness, whom I serve, with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. There's a wholeheartedness that you see there with Paul. And how do you know that there's wholeheartedness? Because Paul is doing the supreme act of faith even before he gets there. He's praying. Are you a praying person? If you're a praying person, you're a person of faith. If you're a praying a lot person, and I don't mean numerically, but if your life is really centered in prayer, Your life is really centered around faith because you're constantly believing God that he answers your prayer. You're constantly going to that power, that source that you do not have in and of yourself to solve anything around you. You're interceding for your husband or for your wife or for your children, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your community, for your church. You are on life mission just by prayer. The wholeheartedness of Paul shows up in his willingness to constantly pray without ceasing as he mentions the church at Rome to God. Listen, folks, our hearts were not designed for moderation. They weren't. Look, look around you. Look, if we love sin, look how far we go with it in our hearts. Oh, but look, if we love God by faith, where that can take us as well. The thrills that people seek. I mean, we want thrills Success in business, our kids to become great soccer players or dancers or trumpet players. or We want the thrill of money. We want the thrill of pleasure. Our hearts can really head in that direction. We're not designed for, for moderation. We're designed for meaning, for significance, to try to get all that we can. We have the stamp of Almighty in us. We know we're supposed to be imp- important. So those things, they sound very shallow, but every life, it reaches for significance. And this is the contrast of living by faith or living by sight. You can, you can live. You can live recklessly, radically by sight, or you can live recklessly or radically by faith. And if I live by sight with any restriction on my heart, that restriction is going to continue to take me in a faithless direction. I'm going to pray less. And take more. I'm going to see my circumstances and I'm going to become depressed. I'm going to look at my accomplishments and I'm going to idolize success even more. I'm going to say, well, I got this, so certainly I should get this. And certainly then I should get this. 
going to put pressure on yourself. And you're going to believe more in yourself than you are in the God that lives in you. But faith tells us to look with whole heart for a God who is working for us, working through us, working in us. Wholehearted faith. God's word well-received leads to a life mission well-received. Where are you looking for thrill and excitement in your life? That's probably the place where you're also looking for meaning and you're looking for impact. We look for excitement in Facebook likes. How many people read my, my recent post? What are the new f- trends that I can follow? i got to keep up with the culture. Cell phone games, entertainment. But Paul is excited about the faith-created condition of wholeheartedness. What could God do with a wholehearted, by faith, church? What could God do with a wholehearted faith in you today? What changes would God make? And what thrills would God bring because of that? Paul is displaying the faith that he longs to help build at Rome. A faith that longs for more of God, not less. And how do we say? Because we have received the gospel by faith, we have that opportunity to be wholehearted as well. We have the means, the faith, to live for a different kind of thrill, folks. A holy thrill a world-noticing thrill, a life-changing thrill, the thrill of giving our lives away the way Jesus did so people can get new lives from Jesus, the thrill of God advancing on earth, the thrill of living in triumph over death rather than living in the disappointments that we see by sight. Now let's get to his last section, the filling of faith It's right there in verses 11 through 13 where he says, For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. When you're a person of faith, you have something to offer to people. Right? Are you a person of faith? Raise your hand if you're a person of faith. Great. Now turn to somebody else right now and say, I got something to offer you. Do it right now. I got something to offer. I got something to offer you. All right? All right? Meet me out in the uh, narthex afterwards and say, I've got something to offer you. Hopefully it's a free lunch. All right? If not a free lunch, I want to hear about how your faith is working. If you're a person of faith, you have something to offer to hearts. You have something to offer to the seat of a person's will and existence, their very purpose in life. You have something to offer to their very life direction. The critical essence of their being can be impacted by you because you are a person of faith. And Paul says here, I want to see you because I want to impart. Oh, Jesus wants some imparters here. Oh, what God could do with some imparters. He says that is that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Barclay says it this way, that I could be encouraged by your faith and you could be encouraged by mine. That, hey, we're just mutualing. The word there, I'm going to explain it here in a second, is to be called into God together. That happens by faith. In verse 13, he says, I don't want you to become unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you. I've longed to have this rich fellowship with you because you are people of faith, that I might reap a harvest among you and even among the Gentiles. The gospel means so much more than just a solution for sin and a path to salvation. He's saying here that the gospel could reap so much more in these people who already know Jesus. There's a harvest that God wants to reap in you. How many of you have known Jesus for five years? 
Put your hand up. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Now you don't want to keep your hand up anymore because we all know how old you are. Jesus still wants to reap a harvest in you. There's more that God wants to harvest by your faith. Paul said, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that building of God. So he says, I want you to be sterizoed is the word, to be strong, to be built up, to be stabilized. People who are stable and strong in their faith are people that are unwavering. They don't walk away from their holy pursuits. Are you listening? Tender heart, hurting heart, disappointed heart, depressed heart, angry heart, unforgiving heart, bitter heart, stubborn heart. Are you listening here this morning? People who are stabilized and strengthened in the faith, they don't give up when life gets them down. And you say, I just don't have the courage. I don't have the heart. I don't have the emotion. I'm just down. Hey, I followed Jesus when I was down because I was convinced that in season and out of season, when things don't feel very ripe in me, I still follow Jesus. Don't quit. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Follow Jesus, be strengthened. What would you say today that you need strengthening in your faith? Paul, after sharing the truth of Christ's resurrection power in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this in verse 58, he says, Be steadfast, therefore, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Are you going to follow Jesus even when you don't follow, want to follow Jesus? Are you going to follow Jesus even when you don't feel like it? Are you going to read the Bible even when you're not excited about reading God's word? Are you going to love your spouse even when you don't feel like loving her? Are you going to love him even when you don't feel like loving him? Are you going to trust God even when you don't really have a whole lot of trust? Faith unwavering, strengthened. Listen, my mother used to take me to the doctor, and I would say, am I going to get a shot? Am I going to get a finger prick or whatever? And she'd say, well, you know, it's not going to hurt. I mean, the doctor's really good at that and, and all this stuff. I, I knew exactly what was going on. The doctor would come, and he'd check me out and stuff like that, and then a nurse would show up all of a sudden, you know, and the doctor would suddenly disappear, and I knew what was coming. It was the finger prick or the shot. My mother would say, oh, it's not going to hurt. Oh, it's not going to hurt at all, that needle, that finger prick. It hurt. It hurt a lot. And if my mother started on the drive and I started asking questions about needles like that, and she goes, oh, it's really not going to hurt this time. I knew, I knew it was really going to hurt. Not a good system, mom. Faith is not a practice of denying the reality of your life. Faith is not a practice of saying, I'm just going to ignore this or try to. No, faith is following Jesus in the hardship. Faith is following Jesus in the trial. Faith is following Jesus in the suffering because God has convinced you by faith and you're unwavering. You've been stabilized. You've been sterizoed in the 
faith. You say, but I'm not steadfast. Let stuff shrink my faith. I'm not immovable. I've been moved by big ups, by big downs. I don't know whether I have abounded in God's work at all. Hey, what a great day it is for you to get sterizoed, to get strengthened by the faith, to be reminded by faith today how greatly loved you are by God, to be reminded by Jesus that you've had all your sins taken away from him, that in Christ you've had your future secured, that in Christ your fellowship is with a new family of God, to realize that right here all the people that are here with you are for you by faith, that all the people here have something to offer to you, so don't run from us, we'll run to you, you run to us. Because in Christ, your significance is not, is not what you've done or haven't done, but it's what Jesus has done for you. Be strengthened today in the gospel of Jesus Christ because people strong in the faith are people that not only believe, but they remain in what they believe. And there's one other phrase there, mutually encouraged, he says that we might be called into God together. It's the word sumparakaleo. Sumparakaleo. What, what, what a word this is. It's the value of Christian fellowship to be called into God together. What good is it to surround yourself with a bunch of Christians who aren't going to live by faith, who aren't going to offer you anything? What value would it be to, to surround yourself with people who say, I believe something, but it really doesn't matter? No, it matters, and therefore we offer that. Did you hear that? We as Christ followers are people that can help build, that can help strengthen, and can help encourage others. Who are you going to encourage this week? Who are you going to build up in the faith? Who are you going to build up because of your love, because of your example, because of your unwavering spirit? Who is looking at you because you are down, because your circumstances are hard, your difficulty is severe, and yet you're still following Jesus, and they're like, man... I want the Jesus in that guy. How encouraging it is to offer something to someone and then see them return and offer that to someone else. My wife led a friend many years ago named Trisha to Christ down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then it wasn't even 18 months later, as Trisha grew as a Christian, she called my wife up one night and she said, I just led somebody to Jesus. And Heather got off the phone and she goes, I'm a grandmother in the faith. Some of you are not just grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. You're great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers and great-greats and great-greats and great-greats because you have encouraged someone in the faith and they went and did what you did. And their faith became known. And because their faith became known, people came to know Jesus. Strengthened. Encouraged. Called all in to God together. God's calling us here together here this morning. Two weeks ago, we asked our people of faith here to ask God how you could partner with our student ministry by faith as they seek to go and retreat next weekend. And a dozen of you gave scholarships by faith. A dozen of you did. Probably dozens more of you began praying for those students. It's this weekend. Does Pastor Cam want your support? Absolutely he does. There may even be this week one student in our student ministry is like, oh, there's this friend that I've wanted to invite. And, and, and she's, she's wavering. And she needs to be strengthened by faith. She needs to be encouraged 
by us and by prayer. Or maybe there's a young man or a young woman that's ready now to receive Jesus. Maybe they played the religion game and they really are not an authentic follower of Jesus Christ yet. But on this retreat, Jesus will come calling. And because faith has come and met God there at that retreat, incredible things are going to happen. And they're going to come back and report it to us next Sunday. Do you know how encouraging it is for your family ministry pastor, Pastor Cameron, to have the financial administrator walk into his office on Tuesday and say, look, you've got a lot of gifts here for the retreat. How many more of you are praying? How many more are spurring your, your students on for that retreat? When people of faith seek to be strengthened together by faith, seek to be encouraged together, then what did Paul say? A harvest comes. It literally means there that you ripen as fruit. Fruit ripen up. And when do you take the harvest? When the fruit have become ripe. You don't, you don't harvest when there's no fruit. You harvest when the fruit are ready. And faith harvests the fruit. Fruit. No life ever changes any lives unless it's been changed by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. So church, we're going to respond in worship here this morning to God. We're going to let this settle in. We're going to respond to God in a little bit of worship. And my questions to you are these. What have you been encouraged about by faith here? And what's, what encouragement do you have in Christ here this morning? Where is God seeking to build your faith? How is heaven ripening you with the word of God here this morning. You said you were willing to receive the word of God. You opened yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. So what harvest does God desire in you here this morning? What is it that God wants to offer you so that you will offer it to others? Come on, take some time. Dwell. Ripen up just a little bit here this morning as we conclude with some worship.